Thank you for listening to our midweek service from Christian Ministry Church. We're praying that this message blesses, encourages, and equips you to build the kingdom of God. Welcome to our midweek service. My name is Sarah Barnett. Um, I'm so glad that you're joining us in person and online for our uh, part two of our gender identity series. Um, So today's part two. If you were not here last week or if you did not get to tune into the live stream, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that if you can. There is so much information, (laughs) so many statistics, um, facts that I went through that I cannot go through all over again tonight. Um, But I did want to do just a short recap of last week, just so we're all on the same page. Um, There were so many people last week after service that said, like, I had no idea, like, that it was that bad. I didn't realize that all of this was happening in culture. Um, Some people don't have Facebook or don't watch the news, so they're like, I don't even know, like it was in schools. And so uh, I'm super grateful to Pastor Tim and Terry that um, he's made this a priority for our church um, to understand how to think in culture. So, um, but we talked about how according to the world right now, there are 112 genders to choose from. Um, We went through and defined uh, key terms because there's so many. I just kind of highlighted the main ones there. Um, I talked about how gender and sex are no longer considered the same thing um, forever. It's like gender, sex, you know, intertwined. That's not really the case anymore. Um, Sex refers to uh, how you were born biologically, what you were born as. Um, And then gender is more of like how you identify now. Uh, We talked about how gender roles don't define your gender identity. So, you know, you can do masculine things as a woman. You can fix a car. You know, you can do feminine tasks like a man. So if a woman doesn't want to wear makeup or wear a dress, that doesn't mean she was supposed to be a man. If a man does not like to hunt and fish and work out, that doesn't mean he was supposed to be a woman. So we have this misconception that gender roles dictate what gender you're supposed to be. Uh, We talked about gender dysphoria um, and how it is not a sin to internally feel like you were born in the wrong body. It's not a sin to feel that way, but we also don't give into that reality and treat it with surgery and cross-sex hormones. Um, We treat it psychologically. So uh, most people who are struggling with this have some sort of mental health issues. They've been through serious traumas in their life um, that were never dealt with, and that feeds into their dysphoria. Uh, We talked about the most sickening part of all of it, um, which has to do with our kids, how it's affecting our kids, um, how young children are are given the right to choose at 10 and 12 years old um, to make permanent changes and permanently damage their bodies um, if they don't feel like they were born in the right body. Uh, We also talked about the effects that it has on women in sports, the disadvantages there. Um, And then lastly, we talked about how all this started, how it came about, who was responsible for it, um, who's responsible for the perversion and the inappropriate education that's being taught in our public school system. So that was our very quick recap of last week. So this week, I want to talk about um, just more on the spiritual side, what does God say about this? Um, Because... I would assume most of us in here are Christians. We want to think right um, on this. It's important to know what God thinks about it. So we as Christians, we believe that God is the creator, right? He made everything. He breathed life into everything from the very beginning. Um, And because he is the creator, he is authoritative on who we are and how we function and how the world is supposed to work, what we're supposed to do, how we think, how we act. So the authority is no longer like our feelings. 
and self and what sounds good at a university. That's no longer the authoritative um, position. When, when you come to Christ and you're under his authority, he dictates what we do and how we do it. Um, Christians believe that the Bible is the word of God and that God expresses his design as creator and he expresses his authority in scriptures. That's why I'm so, it's so important that we take to the word on every topic. Uh, we believe that if we live out our lives according to God's design, that we can be the happiest that we could ever be. I'm not saying that we don't have bad days and that hard times aren't gonna happen. There's really hard things that come up in our lives or there's gonna be bad days. Uh, Jesus said, in this world, there will be tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So if we live by design, we can be the happiest that we could ever be. You know, you have those people in your life who just don't know the Lord and they're miserable, they're depressed, they're taking anxiety medication, mental health issues. So doing it the Lord's way, you can be the happiest you could ever be. Satan's favorite thing to do is to cause us to question our identity. If you can get someone to question their identity, you can control and manipulate them to believe all kinds of lies about themselves. He did it in the garden with Adam and Eve. He tried to do it with Jesus in the wilderness. He tried to do it with me. He's tried to do it with you. If he hasn't, he will. Um, and so the Christian life is not a perfect life. Just throwing that out there. But a Christian life, I heard someone explain it like this. He said, a Christian life is a life where we're stumbling towards in the direction of Jesus Christ, leaning towards wholeness. So I don't have it all figured out. Sometimes I'm stumbling, but I'm gonna stumble towards Jesus. <laughs> and I may, may or may not land on my feet, I don't know. Um, but that's the goal, is to lean towards Jesus. Uh, we're having the conversation about transgenderism because society believes that truth is relative to each person. Your truth is different than my truth. Your reality is not my reality. But there's one reality and there's only one truth. There's, there's the truth. Society believes that people must find and define what is good for them. And what's good for them isn't necessarily good for me. Um, in that, you know, people should be sexually free. And when you're sexually free, you can finally be happy. That is what culture tells us. But God did not intend for us to live this way. The, the commands of God are not to rob you of joy. It's, it's to bring you into the fullness of joy. So it's like, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. that that's, not, that's not his goal. It's, it's not to tell me what I can and can't do, but it's to line my life up with how he created the universe to function. As, um, as Christians, we want to have a teachable spirit and, and to allow the Holy Spirit to shape the way that we think. Um, so even if your flesh disagrees with it, I'll read scripture and I'll be like, why did, why did God do it like that? Like, I think I would have done that a little bit differently than God did that. It just doesn't really make sense with me. Like, you know, it rubs my flesh the wrong way. So even when we disagree, to still trust the word of God because it's infallible. Um, Ephesians 2, 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So as you're navigating situations with people, with your friends, with family, people that you love and care about, we are called to have the same mindset as Christ regarding those relationships. And the most important thing that I want to tell you today is that you were made in the image of God. You're like, yeah, I've heard that. You were made in the image of God, and it is a sin to hate anyone who was, who was made in the image of God. Okay? And there's no exclusions to that. 
you weren't made in the image of God if you are heterosexual, if you identify as the gender that you were born with, you're not made in the image of God if you were born with, you know, per, you know, born into perfect health, or if your conception was planned. There's no exceptions. You were made in the image of God, and it is a sin to hate someone who is made in the image of God. Because we were made in the image of God, <laughs> it, it blows my mind, but because of that, we can put on the righteousness of God. As a son or daughter, he sees us this way, like not because of anything that I've done. I, like, I feel so unworthy. Just like, you, wait, you actually like, want to talk to me? Like you want to spend time with me? It's not because of anything that I've done. It's because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, here's my righteousness and I'm putting it on you. And you can walk in fellowship with me because of what I did. And so no matter what you've done or been through and like, well, I've like really screwed it up. His love covers all of that. The multitude of sins, he did that on the cross for us. Um, I'm gonna throw up some scriptures up here. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the, in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Genesis 2:22. and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We got Mark 10, 6, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. Matthew 19, Jesus said, surely you have read in the scriptures where God made the world. He made them male and female. So I highlighted the male and female in these because just as I'm researching and was working on this word, I wasn't just going to like Christian websites. I was going to liberal, you know, the most leftist side. I want to see, like, what are, they, what are their arguments for why this is okay or the people that are justifying it? And they said, oh, well, you know, there's man and there's woman, but there's also like a spectrum in between. You know, there's like a scale, a spectrum of like what you could identify as. And so I was like, okay, well, like, let's go to scripture and like look for that. And there wasn't any. Everything was male or female and there was no in between. And, uh, and people say that the Bible doesn't talk about transgenderism. Um, and while the Bible doesn't use that exact term, you can know that the Bible is a book that teaches two sexes, just two genders. Um, the Bible is clear about the role of a husband and a wife, the role of a father and a mother. Uh, the Bible uses the phrase brothers and sisters 132 times throughout scripture. It speaks of only one husband and one wife being joined together in a marriage union. And God made it clear that it's only between one man and one woman that you can be fruitful and multiply. He didn't give a second option for procreating. It's just, that's it. One man, one woman. Um, any mention by God, Jesus, other writers um, in the Bible, um, favorably or positively speaking on the topic of a healthy and godly relationship, it's within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. And every mention of an intimate and sexual relationship outside of the marriage of one man and one woman is referred to as lustful and idolatry, um, basically just sexual immorality under all of that. So 
homosexual relationships in the Bible are never spoken positively in the Bible. They're never talked about favorably, only negatively. Um, I want to, tonight I'm going to walk through us just some arguments that you might hear, not, not so that you can argue with people, <laughs> but so that you know how to defend your faith and how to respond to people, because um, these are questions that people are like, well, what about this? It's like, well, if I'm a Christian, I want to know how to respond to that. So uh, people will say, you know, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Show me in the Bible where Jesus said it was a sin. Matthew 15:19. He says, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defiles you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So you have Jesus here talking about all sexual immorality. So sexual immorality in the Greek is porneia, which is where we get the word porn. And the word porn includes all forms of sexual defilement, okay? Or acts of overtly sexual things that the Bible would condemn. So lusting over someone in your mind, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, being unfaithful to your spouse, uh, these all fall under the category of porn or sexual immorality. I um, mean, Jesus did address this in the scriptures. Um, and you know, I just, I think too, like Jesus never mentioned idolatry. He never talked about that. But that was the base cause of all fall <laughs> uh, in human nature. Uh, Jesus also never talked about bestiality. We don't have any sermons from Jesus about bestiality, but I don't take that to mean that Jesus was pro-bestiality. Jesus never talked about incest. He never mentioned incest, but I don't take that to mean that he was for incest, that that was okay. And so what I'm doing is I'm just taking the logic of if Jesus didn't say it, then it must be okay, and just applying that across the board. So there were certain topics in Jesus's culture that were not issues. They weren't up for debate. So Jesus didn't have to convince a bunch of Levitical law Jews that homosexuality was wrong. It's like, yeah, we know that. Duh. So he didn't have a special session on that um, in his day. Uh, another argument you might hear, uh, homosexuality in the Bible is not the same version as homosexuality that we see in our culture today. Paul, you know, he, instead he was insisting, uh, he was addressing that something more exploitive like, uh, like rape or incest or like sex with slaves. Um, he wasn't referring to like a monogamous, loving, long-term homosexual relationship. I've heard that a couple times. But at a scholarly level, that has been completely thrown out the window. Because in Paul's day when he wrote about this, there were writings there, were, there was art, there was pottery pieces, there were iniquities um, that had pictures of homosexual couples in a loving, monogamous relationship. It wasn't uh, an abusive, rape-type situation. Um, so to say that Paul was just completely unaware and that he was referring to something more harsh is just not true. Um, it clearly says in Romans 1.26, says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the, pen the penalty they deserved. I don't know like, how much clearer we want Scripture to be. Because um, the Bible says, Leviticus 18.22, do not practice homosexuality. Just do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman is a detestable sin. I don't know if it's just me, but 
when the Bible says like a man shouldn't lay with another man, like I, I uh, interpret that as a man shouldn't lay with another man. Um, but apparently it's confusing and that's not really what he meant. And so I just take it literal, I guess. But uh, it's just crazy the arguments that people try to say, well, that's not what they meant. I'm like, well, it says it plain and clear right here. Um, an argument that I've heard people make uh, in trying to prove that there's other genders mentioned in the Bible uh, it can be found in Matthew 19, 12. Uh, where Jesus talks about eunuchs. It's kind of silly. He says, some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So it's just silly to think that a eunuch was like another gender because a eunuch was someone who was born male and either had a birth defect or chose to be castrated for the kingdom or it was done to them, you know, against their will. So just wanted to clarify that it was still a man. They didn't become a woman just because they did not have their reproductive organs. So for all of Christian history until like 20 years ago, uh, Christians have held homosexual behavior to be sinful. And so it's absurd to think that like all of a sudden, like we understand scripture, like we know now, like all the generations before us just missed it. They just like the New Testament church, they just like did not know what they were talking about. Like we haven't figured out what Jesus actually meant. So uh, <laughs> glad, glad we got it figured out now. Um, a question that you might hear um, is, can someone be transgender and Christian? Can you be a transgender Christian? So it's never a good idea to hyphenate your Christianity with anything. Okay, I'm an angry Christian. Are you a lying Christian? Are you a thieving Christian? Like, what kind of Christian are you? You don't say any of those things, you're just, I'm a Christian. So to hyphenate it, it's in opposition of the Lordship of Jesus Christ because he is against all of those things. So anything that would separate you from the Lord, any sin separates you. And so you don't hyphenate it, you don't add it as a tagline onto your Christianity. You're just a Christian. And to be, a, to be a Christian, like, you receive salvation, you repent of your sins, you die to yourself every day, you take up your cross, you follow Jesus, and you walk in intimacy with him. That is, that is the Christian life. So anything that's happening in your life that is in opposition of that should be cut out. If being angry is separating you from God, cut it out. If homosexuality is separating you from God, you rid yourself of it. Again, you don't tagline your Christianity like, can you be a gay Christian? You're just a Christian. And if the gay part is what's separating you from Christ, which according to scripture it is, then we rid ourselves of it. Would God create my body to be a different sex than what I feel that I am? Mentally, like I feel like I was supposed to be a different gender. Why would God make my body different than what I feel? We are a three-part being soul, spirit, body. And while the soul and the spirit and the body are three distinguishable things, they're distinguishable from each other, they are one cohesive unit. So God would not intentionally make your soul a female and your body a male. So, and our, our souls have a gender. Okay, well, how do I know what gender my soul is? Look at your biology, okay? Um, some obvious traits would be you know, look in your pants and you'll have a pretty good idea. Um, but those are not the only biological differences. 
there are a minimum of 6,500 genetic differences between male and females. Okay, so it's not just body parts. So if you have the Y chromosome, you are male to your core. You, every part of your being is male. So your skin, your brain, your muscles, your heart, your immune system, your bone density, how we process emotions, every part of your biological makeup is male. So cutting off your reproductive organs or taking like excessive amounts of estrogen to grow breasts and to make your voice higher, um, none of that will change who you are. You cannot change your DNA to become something different. And so you're, you know, these people are like essentially playing make-believe. My son, I have three of them, uh, they're nine and seven and two. And it, like they dress up as Spider-Man. We have a Spider-Man costume, it's pretty popular in our house. When, when my son puts on a Spider-Man costume, like he thinks he, he is Spider-Man, okay? And I like, I'll play and pretend with them, like, oh, there goes Spider-Man, like going to save the world. Okay, we can play and pretend all day. But at the end of the day, he cannot shoot webs out of his wrists and he cannot climb the walls and he cannot swing from the Empire State Building. Okay, so you can, you can change the, the makeup on the outside, but you cannot change the core. And that's essentially what's happening is you play and dress up, you pretend, to be the opposite sex, but your body, soul, and spirit are 100% corresponding to the sex that, you, that was determined at conception. Uh, Paul McHugh, he's a, a psychiatrist at John Hopkins University, he said, transgendered men do not become women, nor do transgender women become men. All become feminized men or masculine women, counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they identify. Another thing that I, that I hear is, okay, well, it's okay if it's not hurting anyone, okay? People might point to the, G, to the scripture like, love your neighbor as yourself, judge not lest you be judged, why are you judging people? These are everyone's favorite verses that they pull out of their archive, even if they don't apply it themselves. Um, but we often skip the first part of the verse. Um, you know, we skip to the loving and accepting your neighbor, but the equally important part here is to love the Lord your God. And the world's definition of love is way different from God's definition of love. The world says, if you love me, accept me. You don't accept me, you don't love me. That's what the world says. God says, if you love me, obey me. And I, I want you to understand God's tone in that. <laughs> you could read it wrong, because he's not saying like, if you love me, you're gonna obey me. Do you understand me? It's, it's not a whipping of like, you obey me if you love me. It's, man, because you love me so much, you're so obedient to me, because of an abundance of love that you have for me, like, you follow me and you do what I say. It's like a, it's a gentle, fatherly spirit. It's not like, you're going to obey me. <laughs> People will talk about, you know, Jesus being inclusive. It's like, Jesus was inclusive, wasn't he? Like, didn't he love everybody? Jesus loved everyone? He did, yes. But Jesus was inclusive in a way um, in a different way than people make it out to be. So there's two types of inclusion, and I feel like we paint Jesus as like this like flower-throwing hippie of like, I love everybody, and like free hugs for all, and I don't condemn anybody, I don't shame anybody, like I have no wrath, like I won't be angry with you, like it's all love, whatever you feel like you do that, okay? That is not the type of inclusion that Jesus walked in. The first type of inclusion um, is affirmation inclusion. Affirmation inclusion is making people feel included 
but you give no call to change. You just affirm them in their sin. Like, yeah, do that. I'm all for it. Whatever makes you happy. Okay, you just affirm people, but there's no call to change, and they just keep on. And then you have transformation inclusion, where you make people feel loved and accepted and cared for, but then they leave completely changed, where there's a call to change. And Jesus gave us a, um, he gave us an example of that. It says, and Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He loved her. She felt loved and seen in that moment, but then he gave a call to change, and she left completely different. And he's the perfect example for us to look at. He, he loved her too much to let her continue living in a sinful lifestyle, and I just can't help but think of, like, my own kids. Um, you know, they want to play in the street. The street's fun. Why can't they play in the street? Like, Sarah, they love playing in the street. I mean, I get that. I, I understand that, but I'm not going to let them because I love them so much to let them play in the street. They're gonna get hit by a truck, I'm not gonna do that. And so when what's hard is like you speak truth and, and they get mad at you or they don't accept what you have to say to them and you're thinking, well, what if they don't talk to me? It's like, man, what if I frustrate my kids when I tell them to get out of the street? What if they get mad at me for that? It's like, man, but this is what the Lord called me to do. And as hard, it is, as, hard as it is, I have to be obedient to that. Um, as a Christian, should I use someone's preferred pronouns that don't line up with their biological sex? So they, them is the newest, she, her, he, him. <sighs> this is something that I have wrestled with um, in all of my researching and studying. And like, just to be honest with you, my first response was like, no, like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. And so I thought, okay, well, let me take my walls down for a minute. I'm going to seek the Lord on this. I'm going to pray about it. What, what does he say? And it may still be no, but I didn't seek the Lord on it. So I, I, what I did was I, I read books. I watched, you know, documentaries and interviews of people on both sides of this argument, the pros and the cons. Um, and so I, I want to share both sides with you and ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to help you in each decision, um, in each situation that you have to make. Um, there's a man named Preston Sprinkle, awesome Christian man, um, and he is very heavily involved in the transgender homosexual community. He's led so many people to the Lord who are struggling with that, um, and he uses their preferred pronouns. And, you know, he's led more to the Lord than I have using that method, even though it kind of rubbed my flesh the wrong way. Um, and so he had some great points, but he had points for not doing it. So I'm just going to throw these out here. Uh, when someone who is struggling with sin comes into your world, they are more likely to receive from you if they feel heard, if they feel understood, if they feel like you care about them. Um, you know, if you refuse to call somebody by, you know, the name that they prefer, they could be more apt to shut you out, to put up a wall. Um, it could be hard for them to lean into what you're saying and like, and you have good intentions, like you have the best intentions for it, um, but they don't see that when they feel like you're just judging and condemning them. Um, so, you know, you bring someone in, you love them, you show them compassion, you point them to the Father, um, and as they begin to enter into relationship with the Lord, uh, you know, as they start to have a heart transformation, harder conversations can be had. You know, but somebody who's just like not even there yet, they don't have ears to hear to just say like, you can't be called that, you're going to be called this. They don't have the ears to hear that, and so to let the Lord transform their heart first before you bring up that topic, um, you know, that's, that's one way to go about it. Um, the argument for not using someone's preferred pronouns. 
it can seem like we're caving in to their ideology. Um, I don't want to cater to the woke mob <laughs> that's forcing it down my throat and saying that you have to do this. Uh, you know, Josh and I were talking like if a grown man walks into the women's restroom right behind my four-year-old daughter, I'm going to call a spade a spade. You are a man. <laughs> I'm not going to give in to that. Um, I don't want them to think that we're supporting or in agreement uh, with a false reality. You know, as Christians, like we advocate for truth, right? You know, like God's given us identity. You are who God says that you are. I am who God says that I am. God made you a male at birth. God made you a female at birth. So by calling you something else other than that would be a lie. And I'm not going to tell a lie. I'm going to advocate for truth. Culture wants to force its ideas on us. And, and when you force people to do something, it pushes us in the, in the other direction. So one thing that Josh and I do is we avoid using pronouns altogether if we can. Um, if you're worried about offending somebody or if you feel conviction, like, I cannot call them that. If you feel conviction about that, just don't say any pronoun. You know, there are so many places that we go that we just say, instead of yes, sir, we just say, yes, thank you. Instead of, you know, no, ma'am, no, thank you. We went to a restaurant a few weeks ago in town, and there was a, our, a man who was our waiter, dressed fully like a woman, makeup, jewelry, all of it. Um, and he was serving us, and as he brought us food, we weren't like, thank you, sir. Okay? Thank you so much. We're not looking to pick a fight. That is not the heart of God. Okay? So by doing something that he purposely knows that we're doing, it's like, well, we just lost every, any opportunity of speaking into his life and showing him love. I heard um, the testimony of a woman named Laura Perry. If you can look her up and watch her story, it's amazing. But she underwent sex reassignment surgery. She began going by the name Jake. Um, all of her friends and coworkers called her Jake, except for her parents. Um, despite, I mean, she had a double mastectomy. She had male parts, full beard, man's voice, male wardrobe. She had all of it. Despite that, her parents still called her Laura, and it drove her crazy, and she hated it. And she would get so mad at her parents for calling her that because it was a constant reminder to her of who, of who she was and of a life that she was, like, trying so desperately to get away from. Long story short, she encountered Jesus one night, and he said to her, he said, if you were to stand in front of me right now, what name would I call you? And the Holy Spirit came over her that night. And she said, Laura, if I stood in front of you tonight, you would call me Laura. And she had this complete transformation. She detransitioned back to Laura. Um, and in fact, a church that her mom went to had been praying for her for all of these years that she would come back to the Lord. And so all the women in the women's ministry saved up money and went and bought her a whole new wardrobe. Um, and they supported her throughout her whole detransitioning process. And she was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what? Like, why are you doing this for me? And the Lord totally wrecked her. She realized that maybe God didn't, didn't make a mistake. Maybe I had made a mistake. So she detransitioned. And in this testimony video, she thanked her mom for calling her Laura all of those years. She said that was the thing that catapulted her back to who she was meant to be and who her identity was supposed to be all along. So powerful. 
how do I respond to somebody who is struggling with their gender identity? Number one is to listen. Seek to understand, hear their story, walk in compassion for them. People want to be heard. A lot of times people do things because they don't feel heard and they don't feel understood, so I'm just going to go make a decision, seek out attention, listen to people, hear where they're coming from. We're like, we're really quick to, to, to speak and we're really slow to listen, and we need to turn that around. Number two is point them to Jesus. I mentioned this last week, but don't start on the topic of their sin. Start with the topic of Jesus. Don't address morality without first addressing the gospel. Um, like, what has Jesus done for you? Has he saved you from anything? Has he done anything in your life? Like, if so, share that. Like, we share our testimony. That's why the scripture talks about power in our testimonies. You're not necessarily saying, like, you need to change. You're just like, ooh, look what God did in my life. Like, this was crazy. I did not deserve it. I felt, like, shameful and dirty. Look what he did in my life. And sometimes that is the thing that turns people to the Lord. So, number three is speak truth. To, but to speak truth, you have to know truth, okay? So the scripture, as, I, as I'm saying, the scripture is what we have to lean on and, and for the Holy Spirit to correct our thinking because, um, I mean, culture is loud and social media is loud and there's a lot of high-sounding nonsense. Like, it sounds really good, um, the points that they bring up. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Um, and, but if you're not rooted in the word, you can get far, far off. So number four encourage them to seek out counsel with a Christian uh, counselor or therapist. I'm sure that all of us in here have great knowledge and wisdom, um, and like I'm all for like praying for people and encouraging people, give them hope, um, but most of us in here are probably not like professional therapists, um, and it's hard to walk people through like heavy traumas, especially if you've never experienced it. It can be hard to walk other people through it, um, and so to be able to point people in a direction a counselor who can point them to Jesus and give them tools to walk through their trauma um, and their hurt so that they can be set free. Um, be a light in a dark world. It is dark, but the light is getting, is getting brighter. Um, and, and I want to encourage you not to compromise for the sake of culture. We have to give people hope. <laughs> like, people feel hopeless. Like, we have to give them hope that you can change and that you're not too far gone. Um, and to trust that the Holy Spirit can draw their hearts back in. Okay, like I, sometimes I think I could be a really, really good Holy Spirit. Like if they could just listen to what I have to say, like I could bring them back. It doesn't work. I'm a terrible Holy Spirit. So to trust on him to do that, he'll do the work for you. And to end with this, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. I love that. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Um, if y'all will stand with me, I um, have asked my wonderful husband to come up and uh, to just pray out with me um, for a few minutes. We just wanted to take a couple minutes of um, just a little bit of ministry time. Josh and I both have several people in our lives, family members and friends who have struggled with this. And it was like, we don't know what to say. Like, we don't know how to handle it. Like, God, I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. Like, give us direction. Um, and, it, and it hurts because you feel helpless and there's like nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and if you're struggling with something yourself, um, with, with all of this, like the Lord has freedom for you. 
And so Josh and I really have a heart for people going through this. And so we wanted to just pray out together and give you an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit, just like all that was spoken over the last two weeks, to let the Holy Spirit just like resonate that with you and to just to speak truth and life over you. Amen. Um, I want to speak into that too. Like if you're, if you are struggling in this room with, with any of that, I just want to take us back to the garden, back to when, when God came after Adam and Eve, his first question was, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Yeah. And that's, that's where the enemy always gets us because he, us, he makes us think that God is withholding something from us. And so we have to step in. So we step into something because we think that he's holding out on us. And that's the whole reason Eve went after the fruit. But Eve was created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. She didn't need that apple to become more like God. She was complete the way that she was. And so, you know, that question that God asked us is, who told you that you were gay? Who told you that you weren't a woman? Who told you that you weren't a man? Who told you those things about you? Who told you that you were a pervert? Who told you that you were whatever? Because it's the lies that we come in agreement to that cause the behavior. And so I want to encourage you tonight, like divorce the lie. Yeah. I heard a powerful testimony from uh, Michael Miller at Upper Room. He said that, that a man came up to him during ministry time after he had talked, he actually had preached on homosexuality. And the, and the guy came up and he said, I don't even know why I'm here this morning. I'm so, I'm so convicted. I just, I just married my partner that I've been with for the last five years and I know that it's wrong and I know that it's sinful and I know that I'm supposed to divorce him and live the, guy, the life that God has called me to do, but I have no idea what to do. And Michael just looked at me in his eyes and said, I don't either. <laughs> but I know this, that any man who seeks to save his own life will lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find true life. And he just hugged the man and they just cried together. And the man left his partner Gave his life completely to the Lord, was pursuing after him, and now he's on staff at that church. Awesome. Come on, man. Yeah. Come on. And we all have, like, we all have something, like, there's all things that we've struggled with. There's all iniquities. There's all whatever. So we're not, like, weighing this sin against another sin or whatever. Like, these are people who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear that Jesus came to set them free from themselves Mm -hmm. so that they could enter into abundant resurrection life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray just, just a minute. Right now, what I want you to do is, is I want you to bring that person to mind that you know that is struggling with their sexuality, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, they're just living in sexual yeah. sin. That person that you know that is struggling with their identity, that is wrestling, that is living maybe a transgender lifestyle, maybe they are maybe they're pansexual, maybe they identify as they, them, maybe they have crazy pronouns, maybe whatever. I want, I want right now, I want everybody to visualize that person as they are in this moment, visualize what they look like. Jesus, break our hearts for them. Give us your heart for them, Father. Give us your heart for that person. That is your child. That is your son or daughter. Lord, forgive us for being Forgive us for being condemning because you didn't come in the world to bring condemnation. You came into the world to set people free. Forgive us for our hate. Forgive us for our hate. Forgive us for our frustration, for our anger. Break our hearts for that person that we see right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to, 
I want you to visualize that person as God intended them to be. As God intended them to be. Back completely whole. Back to male, back to female, back to the right pronouns, back to one who is living in relationship with Jesus. Picture them completely whole. And Lord, we by faith declare that those prodigals are coming home. We by faith declare those that it have even been in this church that seeds have been sown. Lord, you said that your word does not come back void. And we declare right now that you would pour the, 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 the water of your Holy Spirit on that seed right now in the name of Jesus. And that it would begin to bud. We ask that you would convict them of that sin, God. And we ask that they would realize like... Just like the prodigal son, he looked around and no one gave them it. No one gave him anything and he came to his senses and he said, there's more at the house. There's more with my father. Lord, right now I just ask that their sins, that, this, that what they're living in, that, it, that it's your mercy and grace that it has not satisfied their heart. It's your mercy and your grace that it has not satisfied their heart. Lord, I ask that you would come and encounter them where they are right now. And we see them as they are, but we see them how they're going to be. And so we by faith declare, devil, you have no hold on them. We break off generational curses. We break off hurt. We break off woundings right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we break off sexual perversion. In the name of Jesus, we break off the spirit of confusion that has wrapped itself around their minds and their hearts. We break, we bind the spirit of confusion in Jesus' name. And we break it off of their life, God. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would go and that it would convict their hearts, it would convict their minds. And that, and that they would just wake up in the middle of the night tonight shaking and thinking, I've got to surrender to Lord Jesus. I've got to surrender to him. And we call them back home, Lord. We call them back home into wholeness, into relationship with you, God. Why is it happening right now? I don't know why they're struggling with that. I don't know, but their testimony is going to be crazy. It's going to be powerful. Lord, we know that you can set them free because you have set us free. You have set us free from our own perversion. You have set us free from our own dysfunction. You have made us righteous and you have made us whole. And so we believe that the same is possible, that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for he that believeth. God, Lord, don't let us be so full of the spirit of religion that we would be accusers, but Lord, that we would be people of light like Sarah was talking about at the very end here from Ephesians. We would be people of light. That when religion, the spirit of religion teams up with the devil, teams up with the accuser of the brethren and comes against someone that is in sin and brings them to kill them because that's what the law says. Jesus steps in and says, there's a better way. Where are your accusers, daughter? Where are your accusers, son? Neither do we condemn you. Neither do we condemn you. We call you into the fullness of life. We call you into the fullness of life. God, we need the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation. God, we can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. We don't know the words to say. We just want to trust and lean on you. We want to lean on you. Give us wisdom in how to handle. Lord, you handled almost every single situation differently. God, we ask that we would, we would know your voice. We would be your sheep and we would hear your voice on how to handle each person that we come across. Each person that we come across. And that we would be able to give, that we would be able to give truth, revelation, wisdom to, to, to maybe even people in our lives, uh, parents or grandparents or brothers and sisters or, or, or people who have friends that are transgender or homosexual and they don't know how to respond. God, we ask that you would give us wisdom and how to call them out of that, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your freedom. We thank you for your freedom. Help us, God. We don't want to do this without you. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are not a God of confusion, but you are a God of truth. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, we, can, we continue to pursue you. We continue to come after you with all that we are. We love you, Lord. We say, here we are. Use us, God. Use us. Send them to us, God. Send them to us. We want to be the Father's house. We're, we're, we're broken people can come in and encounter your goodness and your love. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.